Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 16, Profit Motive. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That's correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome, and we're getting into a point where we're going to start doing different types of promos that you're certainly not going to want to miss out on. So, again, find us anywhere that you do social media or listen to podcasts or now even on YouTube, and uh, join in. Leave questions, comments, concerns if you have any, and we'll address them in due time. Um, Tonight, we are talking about the 62nd episode of... Star Trek Deep Space Nine, moving right through the third season, um, coming up on some exciting stuff, so uh, let's just uh, get into it. Well, I guess before we really get into it, as always, let's check in. So, David, how was your week? Week's good. Um, yeah, you know, Christmas is around the corner, so getting ready for that. Um, the work has been fine. Um yeah, there's not much to report on my end. Uh, just rode my bike. Hey, to... sometimes there's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. How about you? Uh, again, about the same. Um, working a lot, trying to, you know, stay on this path of going to the gym as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, same, gearing up for the holidays. I'm trying to, as much as I do this, uh, a, a Trek-themed Thanksgiving, I want to do a little bit more with Christmas, only the plan is to focus more on like the sweets that they that came in that uh, cookbook. So, uh, ah, and and now that I've kind of nice. worked out the kinks on filming a little bit, hopefully this right. go around with Christmas will be better, and we'll be able to you know film making things, and then of course the reaction of people um, eating them. So stay tuned for that mm-hmm. if you're interested. We're gonna do like mini videos. I'm not gonna do the whole. 10 minutes, whatever it is. It'll be like two minutes tops. Like, here's the setup, here's the ingredients, and through the magic of time, it's done. Here. That's <laughs> essentially going to be it, because I don't want to go into it any more than that, because obviously there's a lot. But yeah, other than that, I've just been kind of holding steady and eager to, you know, talk more about our show. So, and I am, as a side note, I am almost done with uh, the second book in The Expanse. I'm like just shy of a third left of the book. I, I like I once I said that once I wow. figured out how to read, you know, like how to make time to read and got my schedule sorted out. I've just flown through this one. So probably this time next week, I will be done completely with the book and we will dive into that as well. Good. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, season, uh, book two is, you know, a lot of fun because you got Avastarala there. Like I said, uh, you, oh, you she's fantastic. Her I still love her. Yeah. 
I, I like, and you yeah. were right. Everything I read of her, it's in Sheree's voice, and that just makes yes. it better. Um, we did yeah. talk briefly. You know, there are a lot of differences between what we see in the show versus what's in the book. I can't wait for us to do our After Dark, where we get to talk about that. So, anybody who's been following along, if you're into the books, if you've right. been reading, or you know, you're just watching the show and want to hear a discussion of the differences, uh, you can follow along with us on that. One thing I will say, it does not take anything away from the show, the differences that they have in the book. If anything, for me, I've appreciated those differences. There's nothing I've read that's been like, oh, I can't believe they cut that or anything like that. Like, I have not felt that way at all. I've just really enjoyed knowing the differences. So maybe you will, too. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'll just quickly say it. Yeah, it's, all of the major plot details are still the same. The major... Yeah beats still happen but the details surrounding how and why are sometimes very different um and i i think i like the show's versions more most of the Mm -hmm. time i feel like the show being their second crack at it allows them to be uh, a little more dynamic in some of their portrayals of certain events um you know they have to make it with the screen you know they have to be able to show things and so that uh, sometimes works out a little better, in my opinion. Uh, or they yes. do a better job explaining yeah. certain events. But that's absolutely yeah. true. I, I like either. I like both options. But yeah, it's yeah. yeah. absolutely true. And like what we talked about, like just real briefly, just to give it like a mini preview, um, I guess. Um, the description of the proto molecule. What we see on uh, screen is vastly different from how it's described in the book. Um, I said, you know, David and I talked about this a little bit before, and uh, the to me, the reason that the change makes sense is just like what you just said, David. It's about uh, filming, and it shows up better right. on screen to be lit a certain way, and it also adds a right. you know otherworldly alien element to it that um, I don't think the way that it was described in the book would have translated very well uh, to screen right. if they had you know tried to be that faithful. So. Um, right. Yeah, great choice. Again, doesn't take anything away from the story. Doesn't doesn't make you you know not think of it as dangerous or anything like that. But it's just um, just a really a coloring change. Like everything else seems to be yeah. essentially the same, but right. yeah, the color change is the biggest thing. So yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are other people out there who have done a, a real good comparison of what's different in the book versus the show no and uh if we ever got the time to do more of that to really compare it that'd be great oh but, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have our own little we'll do our own expanse special i guess <laughs> uh but yeah that will be something different since we're you know this is not what this show is about but stay tuned for that if you're interested and hopefully you know we can uh give you some insight and maybe surprise you a little bit but we are here to talk about star trek deep space nine um yeah. profit motive and uh, yeah, so let's just get right to it. Do you want me to give the recap? I think you did it last Go week. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. So this episode contains um, obviously an A and a B plot, but uh, the B plot is without a doubt the weakest B plot I've ever seen for a show. Like it, there was really no need for the B plot. It was so. It was. It's filler. Yeah, it's it's the worst kind of filler because it's already in a filler episode. Like that's, I think that's what makes it, you know, upsetting. Because call this a filler episode. Interesting. Okay. I am going right. to call it a filler episode because it does nothing to advance the overall plot of Deep Space Nine. We get a lot of, really? we get a lot of, you know, kind of, I guess, 
world building in regards to learning about our various Ferengi here, but it doesn't do anything to like even advance them, like their their careers or their ambitions or anything. It doesn't do anything. So it just and it gives us no greater understanding really of anything else that's going on in the world. So it's it's the perfect kind of filler episode if you think about it. But um, yeah, filler within a filler, I, I don't need. So just to give you the quick uh, synopsis here, the Grand Nagus um, shows up at Quark's and um, something is wrong with him. And uh, it turns out that he tells Quark that he has, you know, rewritten the rules of acquisition, the infamous rules of acquisition, some of which we've heard, you know, uh, peppered throughout multiple episodes of the show. Okay, Mm -hmm. and basically Zek is encouraging all Ferengi everywhere to change their outlook on business and instead of being greedy to now be benevolent. In fact, that's the name of the uh, association he creates um, to to foster this new notion and to spread his new um, rules of acquisition, the Ferengi Benevolent Society. Um, everything he's doing is, is very, you know, very generous, very giving. Basically he's the anti Ferengi. He's gone from being the greediest Ferengi ever as Grand Nagus to the most, uh, philanthropic Ferengi. He sabotages a deal that Quark had been, um, working on. That was kind of the opener that we see is Quark is getting his, his umaks from this young, attractive alien lady and uh, she's all about wanting to sign the contract but quark's like ah time will come for that later and that comes back to to bite him because since he didn't sign the contract the grand nagus was able to basically uh subvert it and told her where to go get the infamous self-sealing stem bolts at wholesale which almost Mm -hmm. puts quark in a coma (laughs) He gives his new um, rules of acquisition to Quark and Rom to read, and uh, when they discover the horrible uh, state of these rules, they're convinced that this must be some a part of some greater plot. But the more they look into right. it, the more they realize that's not the case at all. Right. Quark is worried that once this is revealed to Ferengi everywhere, that they're going to be hauled back to the home world and uh, hurled off of the height of the Commerce Exchange, which is the tallest building in Ferengi. And again, another thing that we learned about the Ferengi. Um, yep. He decides to investigate to figure out what's going on. They take a trip to Dr. Bashir. Bashir's like, uh, the Grand Nagus is in excellent health, even considering his age and, and so forth. So there's nothing really wrong with him, at least physically. Uh, Quark breaks into the Grand Nagus' ship. He's able to find that the Grand Nagus has not only uh, found one of the old uh, Bajoran orbs, but that he also went through the wormhole where he stayed for a little while. He realizes that it was in the wormhole that Grand Nagusek had his um, phenomenal change. So he mm-hmm. kidnaps the Grand Nagus, takes him back through the wormhole to go and visit with the uh, the prophets that reside in the wormhole. Uh, right. He meets the prophets, they talk to him for a little bit, and they realize that he is essentially like Zek. And there's a debate as to whether or not to change him the way that they changed Zek. And so we find out that a long time ago, in the early development of Ferengi, they didn't used to be so greedy and adversarial. So the basically the prophets de-evolved the Grand Nagus to make him more um, generous, benevolent, and less um, aggressive. 
They threaten to do the same thing to Quark. Quark's like, if you do that, other Ferengi are going to come looking and wondering what happened. And this seems to be the thing that you guys don't want is people coming in and interfering with you and everything else. So your best bet is to make the Nagus back the way that he was. And obviously, don't mess with me. Um, The prophets agree. They reestablish the Grand Nagus back to his old his old ways, and then they depart the wormhole, go back to Deep Space Nine, and basically try to cover up all of that, you know, benevolent society, everything else that was going on uh, with the, with the new rules of acquisition. Only Rom is still kind of holding the torch for the old rules, and he's memorized them, much to the Grand Negus's dismay. But Quark's like, "Don't worry about it. In a week, he'll have forgotten. He'll for, he'll forget all about him." And then we learn. After all that, that, you know, Rom, as dumb as everybody seems to think that he is, he's actually a great thief, and he was able to embezzle a lot of money from the uh, Grand Nagus during all of this craziness. And uh, Quark is uh, quite proud of his brother and his scheming ways. That is essentially the episode, oh yeah, Bashir, nominated for something, doesn't get it, the end. Uh, That's it. (laughs) Again, that's kind of the whole... My whole wow. issue with this. Talk it's, about summarize. Yeah. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> it, it's a plot that does nothing. It goes nowhere. It, it, <sighs> all right. Greater knowledge. He's up for an award that he, that in the medical field is considered a lifetime achievement award. He knows he's not going to get it because he's too young to be considered for it. He's only 30 years old versus the other people in the running who are like in their upper hundreds. Right. Yeah. Um, So he knows he's not going to get it. He tries to act all nonchalant the whole time knowing that he's not going to get it. When they finally do announce that he's not going to get it, it turns out that he was secretly sad. And he had actually written a speech in case he did get it, which flies in the face of everything else that he was saying. And that's pretty much it on there, too. He he tells Dax's speech, the end. Again, yeah. plot that does nothing for anyone. There are still some funny moments about the Bashir part of the episode, but you're right. Yeah. It is. There are funny big, moments. Like you could... If it wasn't there, you wouldn't lose anything. Right. <laughs> and I mean, and that's my problem with stuff like this. It's just like, it's... Even for the world building that it gives us, it doesn't do anything else. And I've always had a problem with stuff like that because I like, if you're especially if you're tuning into a serialized show like this one is, give us at least a little something that we know is going to come back up at some point in the, you know, in the greater arc. And this one doesn't. There's nothing to it. So, there. But yeah, that's it. Right. That's the sub. That's the whole thing. That's the episode. Um, if you like Ferengi, you'll love this one. If you don't, you right. can skip it. You don't lose anything. Right. But yeah, uh, what did you think of this episode? So, um, I, I well, first off, it's a funny episode. Both the Quark element and I think the Bashir elements are pretty funny. I'll go ahead and talk about the Bashir stuff first because we can get through that stuff a little more quickly. I mean, go Very the, quickly. The Five minutes when it's done. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I have kidding. to say, the best... The most, the funniest part in the whole episode, I did a spit take literally in the middle of this, is when Odo goes to Bashir and Bashir is in the replimat mm-hmm. working on something. And Odo comes in, and throughout the episode, other characters have been going to Bashir, and tr- like Dax and O'Brien were trying to get him to admit that he wants to win this thing, and you know, how great is it you were nominated? Like with, with O'Brien, they're playing darts, and O'Brien keeps making comments that make. Bashir 
miss his darts and then Bashir gets him back by asking, Hey, when's Keiko coming back uh, from her trip? So they're, they're, they're jabbing at each other there. So anyway, he's sitting there at the ripple mat. Odo walks up. He has a, something he's working on and Odo tells him a friend of a friend whose sister knows the mother of the, of the, one of the people who oversees the, 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 the committee that determines the winner overheard someone say that this person won't win. Like all of this, it was great. This, a friend of a friend of a friend told me, told them, heard that it was just one of those completely BS statements. And, uh, well, whatever, I forget exactly what Odo does, but he comes back to, Bash- he comes to Bashir at that. And Bashir's like, well, I, I don't care. And then Odo says, well, then why are you writing an acceptance speech? And Bashir yeah. says, how do you know? And he said, I guessed. So that whole <laughs> a friend of a friend nonsense uh-huh. was just a bunch of BS from Odo to get Bashir to admit that he actually did care. <laughs> I love it. It proves that Odo knows people really well and knows how to get information from people by manipulating them into revealing themselves. So it was hilarious. Um, oh, yeah, good, uh, old, good old yeah, was, Odo just messing with people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there's the whole bit, yeah, when um, when he, you know, loses and Dax says to him, you're real torn up about this, aren't you? And he's like, secretly inside, yes, I am. <laughs> so he's been trying to protest it the whole time, but, you know, he secretly does really care. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything that's to be said about the Bashir yeah, part of the story. I mean, so, yeah, I think... That's it. I mean, I found him more interesting when he was talking to Quark about why Zek was in excellent health than everything else that was involving the little <laughs> subplot with him. Like, seriously, right. I would much rather have seen them have to do, like, maybe the the back and forth of them continuing to take him to sickbay to get yet another test, another scan, and the doctor becoming increasingly exasperated that them, you know, doing this to him would have been better to me than this aside about the the Carrington Award, which is the name of the award that he's up for. Um, I will say that this episode, you know, for a little behind-the-scenes knowledge for people, this episode um, was written as kind of like an in... was put together later as an in-joke surrounding awards and sci-fi shows, and in particular, Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek The Next Generation was in the running at the time for an Emmy Award, um, and it's been famously well-known that sci-fi shows just don't really win those, at least at that time. And so it was in the same category as several other, like, you know, hard-hitting drama shows like NYPD Blue and so forth. And in fact, at the time, NYPD Blue was the odds-on favorite to win the award. But as the time progressed and things kind of were going up right up until you know actual voting and everything else it kind of became like this you know kind of underhanded thing to that uh, i guess underhanded but you know behind the scenes thing that it was a neck and neck race between tng and nypd blue one of these two shows is going to win it and then finally at the end the winner was announced and it was neither show it was a third show called picket fences so um which I've never heard of. I actually remember that show. I don't remember what it was about. I can just remember the beginning and that it starred uh, Tom Skerritt. I don't know why I, I know that. Like, I don't remember ever watching the, the show, but I know that he was in it. And, um, yeah, I, I have no idea what the show was about. Upset. Huh? Yeah. It was the upset for this yeah, but it, yeah, that and it yeah. and that and it knocked TNG out. But yeah, I have no knowledge of that show. Maybe in my you know quest to understand '90s popular 
television. I will find picket fences and watch it, and and we'll see. But I know nothing besides Tom Skerritt was in it, and if I remember correctly, the opening theme did feature obviously a picket fence. I don't know anything else about the show. <laughs> Riveting details. <laughs> hey, at the time that this would have been on, I was like nine. So yeah. I'm going to give myself credit for remembering that much. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like Bashir kind of got gypped here. So for a whole subplot involving him, he really does nothing. Um, I also like this, the little scenes between him and um, O'Brien and they're playing darts and, you know, they're you know, jabbing at each other a little bit about uh, the Carrington and about Keiko and so forth. I like stuff like that. Like, yeah. I don't mind character development, but again, it does nothing for anything else. <laughs> You're totally right. If anything, I was happy when this episode started because it was Dax who had had put him up for the, the award. It was Dax who understood all the mumbo jumbo that was why he was being you know considered mm-hmm. um i was like oh great dax will have something to contribute to this episode and then it turns out she's just as involved as you know o'brien is almost um again i feel like poor dax just gets relegated to like a secondary character uh she's there but you know i mean she had more to say than cisco did this episode so i guess there is that so, so here's what i'm discovering as i'm you know talking about this show with you and rewatching certain episodes of you because I'm not watching I'm not rewatching all of them. I just there are right. certain ones that I feel like are important for us to talk about and I'll watch them. But um I'm noticing that obviously my I have I love the character Chudzia Dax. I always have. I I think she's a great character. Sure. I've told you that. I've told many people that. Um but during this rewatch and seeing how just especially in these early I keep saying that early parts we are in season three now and how very little we know about her and have seen her actually do I'm wondering if my love for the character is as deserving as it should be because I'm interpreting your love for the character as like later on, she really comes out of her shell. Like she comes out and just like steals it at some point. So actually I've noticed that I'm kind of hoping the same thing. I'm kind of be, I've been like, wait, we've got, you know, four more seasons. It's coming, you know, it's coming. But part of me has been like, are you sure? Have you uh, been suffering from, you know, what's that? What's it called? The Mandela effect? No, Oh, okay. Where yeah. you know where you think that something absolutely happened, but then there's no real evidence that the thing that you're so sure of really happened. I'm wondering if you know. Part of me is like, did you fall into that trap here that you think that she's such an <laughs> awesome character for something that she doesn't actually really do? So um, I hope not, but we'll see. It's a it's interesting yeah. thing to have to rediscover when watching the show. But I still <laughs> love Dax. I still love Dax. I think yeah. she, I still think she's great. So, despite her yeah, having yeah, yeah. very little to do, so we'll see. Oh yeah, there's no doubt that, and whenever she's been a central character, she's definitely, I think, most of the time been great. Mm-hmm. I think she's not. It's not like she's like a, a terrible character or actress compared to anyone else. It's just it feels like again, just we said it before. It's just like the, the writers haven't yet figured out how to make her a compelling character amongst the rest of the cast, and uh, it just stinks that. We know that there's potential there, or at least we know that there will be. There's more there to her, but we just haven't got to it yet. So. Right. But. 
Now, one other interesting thing that we get out of this episode is yet another one of the infamous orbs of the prophets. You know, we haven't really seen another orb until now. You know, we got the first one in uh, Emissary, the very first episode. We saw the orb of prophecy and change. Um, Now we've got uh, the orb of wisdom is this one. So um, now if you're following along and you know a bit of Bajoran lore, we know that there are nine orbs of the prophets, each one that does something different. Now, I haven't done any additional research on this yet, but just from my own memory, I don't believe that we see all nine orbs in the show. I think we only see like five, maybe six. And so far, we've only seen two at this point in uh, season th- in, in all of the season up to up to season three, so um, again we've seen the orb of prophecy and change. That was the first one that started Cisco on his path and, and everything else. And now here we are with um, again the orb of wisdom. So um, I'm going to have to look to see what the other ones were. Uh, I know there's like an orb of time, and then um, I don't I don't remember what the other one other ones were supposed to be, but hopefully. We'll get to all those. But yeah, I'm glad to see at least we're getting a little bit more of that stuff because the Bajoran faith is, you know, as we've touched on a couple different times, is very, um, we'll say confusing, to say the least. Because <laughs> they're they're trying to come up with a, a language, not necessarily, on, uh, not a language, but a, a religion, uh, sort of, kind of, on the fly. There are certain aspects of the religion, I'm sure, that we can find parallels in. Uh, Christianity, Judaism, so forth and so on. They because they took certain things in order to kind of give themselves a, a, a foundation here. But um, yeah, these orbs, we don't know anything about them, but clearly they can affect people quite substantially. So, um, mm-hmm. what do you think of them having these orbs in general? Well, so remind me the details because it's. Mm-hmm. I think it's really. I mean, we've we've seen. The orbs, like for example, Vedic Boreal, I think it was in season one. Like Kira goes and she has. That's a right. That was the orb of time, right? Okay, so this is the third one we've seen. Then I, I think, think that so? was a. I, actually, that wasn't the orb of time. What was that? That was the orb of contemplation, I believe they called it. And it was okay. the one that she was using to consider her path after having been removed from. Uh, Deep Space Nine. Yes, that's yeah. right. So we saw. Yeah. So we have seen three. Then we've seen the Orb of Prophecy and Change. That was the first one. We've seen the Orb of Contemplation. That was the one that Kira used. And now we have the Orb of Wisdom. Got it. So it is interesting. Okay, so in Episode One, when uh, Cisco went to the Temple of the Prophets, to the wormhole. And he met the alien beings there. They are the orbs. Am I correct? No. Um, the orbs are... I, well, I guess technically, yes. The orbs are a part of them. The story goes that the prophets, as you know, recognized gods of the Bajoran people, they gifted the orbs at different times to the Bajoran people right. throughout their history. So, okay. yeah, it's both separate and a part of them and somehow. Somehow. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, well, first off, we should mention that it's apparently on Cardassia 3 that uh, the vet, uh, that um, the Grand Nagus got this orb of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went to this the wormhole right away. He basically came out and basically, like, flip-flopped all of the 
rules of acquisition. Like if you read the rules of acquisition, it's like he flipped them on their head. Like whatever the version that was before, it's the opposite now. Um, so the idea of physical items being powerful, you know, for example, the most recent example I think most people would recognize is the, you know, the gauntlet that, um, uh, what's his face he uses in the Avengers, um, the orb of, or the, the time stone and the, Oh yeah. The, the, um, yeah, the, infinity uh, gauntlet, um, the infinity gauntlet and then the various, what were they, what were they called? I know the, yeah, I can't the, believe the time stone, yeah. the, but they, but they, but they had a name. Like the, there was a name for all of them together. Like they were the, the stones of whatever, right? The Infinity Stones. The yeah, Infinity the Infinity stones. stones. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So those, those are. If you have all of them, you basically become a god within the universe of the Marvel story. You can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that these orbs, I mean, they're not powerful in that sense. It would seem like they're not giving you the power over reality. They're not giving you the power to punch things really hard. You know, that's not exactly what they're doing, but they do give you the, the ability, like when they interact with you, as it happens to Cork in this episode, you see visions where basically all of the people that you know, instead of saying and acting as themselves, they are basically the vessels by which the, the prophets speak to the person. Like they're examining the memories of mm-hmm. the person and they use that examination of the memories to speak to the person. And because they're beings outside of time, they're able to basically communicate information that would not otherwise be available. Excuse me. So basically, for me, the, again, we're getting into the idea this is a, a, a religion that's being made up kind of on the fly, as you said, for the show. It's not going to have a you know robust biblical like Bible you can go by and like have a whole theology worked out. Of course, it's just a show. Mm-hmm. But the idea that these beings are, like, first off, that they 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 empower these magical items, which are, let me put it this way. The idea that you could physically hold and, like, possess a power stone seems kind of silly on some level. You know what I mean? Well, like, sorry, uh, just thinking about the what Marvel aspect. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about what it's you like, were saying in, in, in terms of religion. I mean, I think we've seen this before in various religions here on, you know, on earth, you know, um, religious, you know, relics, holy relics that were used to, uh, justify, you know, one individual or a town or whatever being more powerful or being deemed as sacred or whatever it is, because they had Mm -hmm. this holy relic from whatever saint or from Christ or from whomever. Right. right? So we've seen that here. And I mean, I think that, So I don't know if there was ever any kind of talk about the orbs here being a reflection of, you know, anything from Marvel or whatever, but I think you could definitely draw a bit of a parallel here between those types of relics that we've seen and then the establishment of the orbs here. Um, Obviously, these are heightened to another level because we have a, you know, a sci-fi bent to them with these alien beings that are existing out of time in this right. in this wormhole but i think if you cut all that out then you're essentially looking at the same thing these are holy relics that's how that's how the bajorans view them these are holy relics yeah, no, that see, allow them be, to yeah yeah i want to be very clear as what i'm saying so like for example the ark of the covenant in the five first books of the bible is a description of a 
the place where the Ten Commandments were put, and it was a holy relic on a certain sense. So, yeah, there's biblical precedent for that kind of thing. Uh, now, of course, I'm not talking about, like, the Indiana Jones version where, like, it melts people's faces. That's fiction. But my point is, is that, as you just pointed out, people who claim to have the bones of dead saints or they have the Shroud of Turin, you know, they have these things and they imbue them. They, they themselves treat them as if they have magical abilities when, frankly— no, that's not yeah, when there's, how that works. Right, and a lot of those, and I, you know, when I remember stories growing up of you know people claiming to have the the bone of whomever and all the other kind of stuff, and then a lot of these were widely debunked as fakes, and they were just used by yeah. various charlatans and carpetbaggers to try to scam people out of money and you know oh, whatever. So I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what those always, but, almost always, turned out to be. Right. But I want to be very clear. Again, the show is presenting these – like the Orb of Wisdom actually does something. It, yes. When he goes to the Temple of the Prophets, you know, the wormhole, with the Orb of Wisdom, he experiences an encounter with the prophets, with the Bajorian – the the wormhole beings, mm-hmm. the wormhole aliens as they're sometimes called. So they, they are real in a certain sense. Yeah. What I'm – what I really am coming to, but all that to say is that these beings – Whenever we've encountered them outside of the Bajorans themselves, which we've only really, in, in some ways, really only encountered them from the perspective of Cisco and now from Quark. We've never been with, like, Kira when she encountered them directly. She had visions. Well, so Kira actually, things. Kira didn't actually encounter the the prophets. She had, she had exactly. visions which showed, right. which showed her certain aspects of herself and yes um like and, and certain people that were around her that could p- potentially influence her past the only right. time we've actually seen and had communication with the prophets was with first cisco and now quark yes. so two yes, aliens exactly. two aliens have had these conversations so right. far not to uh not not bajorans not actual bajorans exactly. who believe in them Right, and the reason I bring this up is because, as we've seen with Quark this episode and then with Cisco, the the aliens in the wormhole are not gods in the sense of like, like the god of Christianity and of Judaism is supposed to be an omniscient, all powerful god. He is all knowing and all powerful. Which, when you present these beings, they don't understand until Cisco explains how linear time works. They don't understand. Quark's motivation until he argues with them. Now, I want to be very clear, in the Bible, there are characters that argue with God and convince God to change his mind, but we can go into more details on that. My point is, is that these beings in the wormhole are treated as godly beings by the Bajorans, but every time we've encountered them, they haven't been that. <laughs> They've been just another alien species, and so it, from a religious aspect, and again, we're just critiquing it, yeah. From, for what it is, we're having fun with it. It is a religion that is flawed in the sense that no, these are not gods. These are just more advanced, more capable creatures than you are, and therefore to treat them as more than what they are is a mistake. If they were, if the Bajorans were to take the more scientific aspect of like the Federation and treat them as just beings in a wormhole, they might actually. Uh, well, I mean, just was it last episode that Cisco was dealing with the prophecy and it turned out to be true? So it's like the show does treat them as, well, 
I, I still I would think say, my point holds. I, I would but, say yeah. that this is like to argue against what you're saying for the sake of in universe here. I would sure, say that sure. this would be the closest that they could represent a true godlike uh, structure as they right. as they understood it, because the prophets right. are, you know, you were saying they're not omniscient, um, but I would say that they are, and we see that in the fact that through interactions with the various orbs, they're able to show that they have seen and can influence a lot of different things. So um, the, the, the difference is, and I guess going back to what you were saying about people who argue uh, or debate with God, however you want to, you know, whatever language you want to use there for it. I mean, you could right. almost say the same thing is going on when these other beings, first Cisco, now Quark, they're not, um, it's not adversarial and it's not because the, it's not because the prophets are, um, saying we're going to do this necessarily because it's better, but it's because it's it's from a... St the way I was watching it anyway, it was from a standpoint of... Man, I kind of lost that there. Um, <laughs> That's hard, I know. No, it was... Well, I mean, it's... Like, kind of what you were saying, that, like you said, in the Bible, there are people who were able to, you know, debate with God and get him to change his mind. I, we see that here in the sense of... Gain the the prophets gained an understanding that they didn't otherwise. I wouldn't necessarily say that they didn't have, but maybe they just didn't think was as important, you know. Because like we see here with Cork, when he goes back to the prophets and he's like, "You need to change Zek back." From their standpoint, they were basing this off of you know everything else that they had seen, and it just never really seemed to be particularly important to have the kind of drive and greed that Zek had. But now that Quark has kind of explained that to them a little bit, now they're like, okay, they're willing to change their, their tune on that. Same thing with Cisco and talking about linear time. They at first didn't seem to have a concept of it, but then the more he explained it, they were like, well, oh, well, it's this. Like, it's not... So the way I was always interpreting those interactions was it wasn't so much that they did not understand or whatever, but more... They never wasted the time to give it the same kind of significance or importance as anything else that they were dealing with. And I mean, when you're a when you're an all-knowing God who can see everything, every which way, past, present, future, even even you know, multiverses and possibilities and everything else, how do you decide um, what's important and what's not? You know, that's right. I mean, that's something that we will never you know truly be able to experience. And I think that that's why it's translated so poorly to us because they're trying to give us a, a, a God concept that we don't have the ability to, I guess, totally conceptualize to use the same word twice there. So, yeah. Well, so for me, it comes down to this. Um, so for example, in the last episode, Cisco was experienced a prophecy coming true about himself. If he is the emissary, the prophecy came true. Again, we, we discussed how the prophecy was a little flawed in our opinion, at least in terms of a storytelling aspect. But anyway, point is, why hasn't Cisco become a believer of the Bajoran religion, kind of? Like, why doesn't he now wear an earring? Why doesn't he also say, you know, believe the will of the prophets? Now, again, maybe the character will move on. We're still only mm -hmm. in season three, so I'll, I'll give him a chance to change. But um, Cork and Cisco after having experienced these two events, have not 
it would seem, changed their worldview. So let me, let me put it another way. When the Grand Nagus comes back from the wormhole and rewrites the rules of acquisition, having been influenced by the Orb of Wisdom, you would think, I mean, again, he doesn't get a chance to show his rules of acquisition to anyone else, but you could consider his rules of acquisition as being like the Ten Commandments or something. Like, yeah. he got a revelation from the gods, and he could have, like, given those to the Bajorans. He could have been, like, a he could have himself been a prophet in the biblical sense, you know, someone mm -hmm. sent from God to communicate a message. He could have, like, the religious element of the show could have really yeah. been explored a lot. And I know the show probably doesn't want to bother with that too much. Just, you know, it's an interesting I, that, theory. Sometimes I, yeah, we I go think, into that. I think that would have taken the show down a totally different avenue that they oh, weren't yes. But I mean, I I'm, totally sure understand. That, yeah. but I'm sure that you also, you, you know, I mean, as a person who has, you know, you're obviously more religious than I am and you've read the Bible and so forth. I'm sure that you can cite several examples of people who did receive in some form or fashion the word of god tried to present it to people who then immediately rejected it you know oh, it, that's, it was that happens that's pretty much that's, the, that's that, actually right like the number one thing that happens. i was gonna say I, like, I was gonna that, say I so to i mean just because just because you have you know just because someone claims that they've got the word of god on you know a stone tablet or whatever right. it is does not mean that as soon as you present that to the masses that they're going to accept it and i think that's what quark was trying to or was afraid of here that yeah the grand nagus after being influenced by the prophets he rewrote the core rules of his people and right. quark was like oh my god they're gonna kill him they're gonna kill me like i don't i don't want this on my you know we, to have to deal with i guess i would just push back though because it's, it seems like it was the ferengi who would be upset not the bajorans my point no, is I, that that's what i'm talking about like like you said the Grand Nagus, using the Orb of Wisdom and going into the wormhole, received word just to just to kind of clean this up a bit. He received the word from some gods. These gods right. told him these are the basically these are the new rules under their influence. These are the new right. rules. He was then going to go and deliver those to his people. That's why he established the Ferengi Benevolent Society. That's why he started doing all these things. Quark saw all of this, saw these rules, saw how the Grand Nagus had changed, and said, "He's going to kill me." Like this, or this is going to kill our people. When they find out about this, they are going to riot. They are going to revolt. I'm going to be killed. I must figure out a way to stop this from happening because my life is on the line. So to me, that's the same thing. Someone received the word. They took it to this group of people and they said, riot, you know, riot ensued. Um, when you were talking about Cisco and why, you know, now that you know, with the, with the, you know, he read the prophecy, he saw how it came true and how it, ultimately really did play out and you're saying why didn't he become a believer i would say that the problem was never that cisco didn't believe in the prophets it's just he didn't view them in the same vein of worship the way that the bajorans who have been raised you know and they're culturally to accept them this way they always right. deified these aliens whereas cisco legitimately encountered them you know, he, it right. was never from afar. He was, he's a person who was raised in a culture where exploration and encountering beings who have phenomenal abilities was, well, 
common. You know, they he's run into countless numbers of aliens who could do things that humans couldn't. And he, as part of his training and just overall experience, he's come to accept that. And that's something that he even tells Jake, as we see later on, you know, or not later on, but in an earlier episode, he tells Jake, you know, these aliens, you know, they can see things and and do things in a way that we can't. Why wouldn't we consider them gods? Because Jake was kind of being very contemporary being very common he's like yeah everybody calls them gods but we know they're aliens that's just stupid to worship them and cisco's like no it's not because they can do things that we can't do and they have influenced the bajoran people so i mean to me that explains why he did not even with them proving that he was the emissary yeah 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 well i so this is actually really interesting this is actually i think you just described or at least kind of point me towards what i would say is the difference between like there's the big G God, so Christians and Jew, I mean, the Jewish people won't even say the name of God. They say Lord because you know the whole idea is that saying Yahweh is so not something you should abuse that they don't even say Yahweh or Jehovah. People pronounce it different ways. But anyway, um, most people, when they say God, they have a big G. But then there's also like little G gods. That would be like the Greek gods. So the Greek gods are powerful but they are incarnated in a sense. You know, they're fictional beings, but the idea is is that they're basically like superhumans, which is why, you know, you got Thor. He's like basically a superhuman, but he's a god. So, like, is he a god in the biblical sense? No, he's not a biblical god. He's the little G, like the Olympus gods of the Greeks kind of god. He's a powerful being that has supernatural abilities outside of the regular person. Mm-hmm. So I think what what we're coming to is the the Christian belief system is that God is outside of the physical reality of our world. That's why he's all-powerful and all-knowing is because he's not confined by time and space like we are. Not in the sense of like he is an incarnated being who experiences time differently. No, no, no. Time is a concept that like he created himself. Mm-hmm. So if the, the Bajoran prophets are incarnated beings more like akin to the Olympian Greek gods, then that is, we could go that route. Yeah. That's what we're exploring in a sense. But I, the reason this is important, and I just want to, this will be my yeah. final point here real quick. My final point is just that the whole idea behind like Christianity in particular is the idea that there is a morality associated with why things are the way they are. Like you're expected to, do things per se or not do things for moral reasons and when you're creating a religion if you're going in the there's a morality behind it aspect that would be more in like the christian element but if you're going more for like a olympian style these beings need to be worshipped because that's good or right but it's not necessarily a morality like the morality is more murky if Mm -hmm. you will that's kind of where we are and so that's that is kind of what it is it would seem but well, I would dis anyway. I would disagree only in the sense that like the the prophets do exist outside of time. That's why they don't view time the same way we do. They don't have the same concept of it until Cisco right. talks to them about it, and they and it's like a realization that this has kind of been, you know, a thing that they were aware of, but again didn't prioritize. And then, right. um, you know, that would also explain like the way that the orbs work and how you can have one that's an orb of possibility that shows, you know, 
probable events and you know it allows you to kind of see certain paths like what we see with Kira when she's having her orb experience it's showing you know various potentialities because they have a way of viewing events in greater time that's outside of any other experience that could be had because they exist outside of all of that so like I said I think this was an attempt to to get there but it's hard when it's us doing it in storytelling, right. you know? So right. I, I think that's why the the prophets always are, one, very interesting, but also why we, um, we struggle so hard with trying to figure out just exactly how they fit into a lot of things. Because at least for right now, we don't really have a lot uh, to go on and as to how they operate and whatever else. Now, mild spoiler, David, I will tell you, we, we get more of the profits in uh, future seasons. So maybe that will help us later on to kind of narrow down um, where they right. fall. Are they kind of, you know, little G pantheon gods, or are we really trying to stick with this kind of outside of linear time, non-corporeal whatever's um, uh, big God stuff. Right. right. So right. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do want to quickly say again, I, the fact that they're trying to take a, a risk with this storytelling. Is, yeah. It's definitely a risk. It, yeah. It's a yeah. creative, it's a creative choice. And, you know, let me put it this way. I, myself, when I like to think about writing stories, it, I like to think of the idea of inventing a, a reason for the universe to exist. Like, for example, J.R.R. Tolkien has a backstory that explains the creation of the Middle Earth, and there's gods, and there are, like, angelic beings. So he has, he invented all that. And I, I think that'd be fun to try and invent. Anyone who tries to attempt doing that very quickly hits upon the problem of, that's a massive undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> to I... invent a universe is incredibly difficult. So... Yeah. Kudos I, for trying. <laughs> yeah. I think I always think that it's very interesting when you get into any kind of storytelling that's that tries to tackle that level of mythos, especially in trying to create it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you find a lot of things that, you know, are clearly branches off of it. And it's it's clear that someone was, you know, taking aspects of, you know, the ever popular Greek mythology. It's you don't see it so much with other ones. I mean, you're seeing a, a rise lately in like Norse mythology, but Greek was kind of always like the main go-to when you needed to kind of branch off from stuff like that, you know? But when you see them where they go to actually from the ground up create that kind of mythology, it's a huge, huge undertaking. And I mean, I guess we can always just say, thank God Token didn't really have a lot to watch on TV because I don't think he ever would have got it done if he did, (laughs) you know? Um... I think he would have yeah, just, you know, cried himself to sleep, you know, trying to know when he had an idea and couldn't get it out or whatever. But yeah, I mean, right. I I will always give them props here on Deep Space Nine for making the attempt because it, it as many times as it comes out as cool or or nifty or whatever you want to say about it, there are a lot of times where it's very um, clunky and it's confusing and certain things are going to, you know, cross-reference and back up on themselves and not make sense and whatever else. And, um, again, I'm still going to give them, you know, props for the attempt because no one else has really done it. And when you find others that even whisper at it, they quickly move away from it. It's like, we don't even, 
we're we're not going to go down that path at all. Like we, we thought about it, but then we realized we were basically engaged in a fever dream. And now that we're awake, we're not going to do this. So, yeah, going to give him props. Um, <laughs> gotcha. And yeah, once again, Bashir didn't win the award because he was too young. The end. But you know, like, <laughs> like see how much we get from the A, and then so little from the B. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like there's as much as this is a filler episode, there was still something great to talk about here in regards to the formation of the Bajoran religion and its people and the influence of the orbs and so forth. And then we have this undercurrent that did nothing for us. That time that they gave to Bashir could have gone towards maybe, you know, talking more about the orbs and um, they're giving us more about their significance and what they're actually composed of. Like you asked the question, are these, you know, a part of the, uh, the prophets or not? I mean, we don't know. Like, I don't know if they, you know, it's, is it the equivalent of someone broke off an arm and put it in a box or what? You know, like we don't know anything about them, and it would have been nice if we had gotten some more um, uh, information about those, and they could have used right. that time for that too. So, yeah, you know, a lot of different things here. Now, right. there are, like I said, there are nine orbs. I did do some quick research here. We only actually see five um, on screen through the run of the show. So there are four others that are never seen. Um, there are several different um, books and various um, uh, comic books and like that that mention a couple of the other ones, but there's not a true accounting yet of all nine orbs. Now, now that there's new Trek out there, um, that's something they could revisit. I mean, heck, maybe one of the remaining mysterious, mysterious four orbs could be ones that um, help other characters out along the way in some of the new shows. So that would be a cool little right. tie-in to Deep Space Nine to see that, you know, on the third season of Picard that's getting ready to come out, maybe they found a new orb to do something with. Um, right. But who knows? I doubt that's going to happen because the the red-headed stepchild that is Deep Space Nine continues to not get acknowledged to this day. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I think we've thoroughly beat this episode to death here. Um, I don't know. I can keep going. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, go ahead. What are some other thoughts you've got oh, about this gosh. one? Well, again, it would be more just in the – discussing the religious aspects. I mean, we got – we're at 53 minutes in. We yeah. normally talk for an hour. I could go for a little longer. I guess I would just say this. The idea that – let me put it this way. The Greek gods, like Zeus in particular – is known for being capricious, right? Yes. Like, he just screws around with all the women he wants. He doesn't care. He doesn't really care about the people. In fact, a lot of the, the movies have come out, like like the the, the Rise, or what was it? The, um, anyway. Love and Thunder? The, yeah, no, I was thinking about the one about the Rise of the, anyway, I can't remember the name of the, the movie. The Clash anyway, of the Titans movies? Uh, that's it. That's it. Clash of the Titans. That was it. Anyway, the whole idea is like, oh, the gods are going to lose their power if they're not worshipped. Like, it's so silly. <laughs> it's well, like, if you're a god, you know, right? So right. that's that. Sorry, that's actually a rip on an older um, 
uh, Greek movie from like the 60s that talked about that, that the the Pantheon right. of Gods, they directly gained their power from uh, the people who worshipped them. That's why it was so important in Greek, um, in early Greek life, that every home had a god that was their their patron basically and they would leave right. offerings to these gods and the greater the offering the greater the worship hall or whatever then the more power and stature that particular god had you know and that's right. why there was always these you know huge statues of zeus and and then almost anything could be attributed to these gods like oak trees were were the symbol of zeus and you know the beautiful peacock was hera and things like, like so that way it was like there was always something on the earth that was reinforcing the god's power regardless of people and their and their status or whatever, but yeah, definitely a diminishing of their power once we were moving further and further away from the devotion to them uh, that that they once had. Uh, right. But yeah, that's all. That was all a rip. Like all that stuff in those Clash of the Titans movies and all that. That was all talked about in a movie from the I'm gonna say early sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It's probably the original Clash of Titans. I think there was an original version. But anyway, yeah. my, my, I'm trying to be quick so I don't yeah, go ahead. get too long. But my point is is that the reason I brought up the, the Infinity Stones was the idea that the power of the orbs, the Orb of Wisdom, for example, is a, is a passive spatial thing. So okay. you have to have the, the Orb of Wisdom. You have to have the you know Power Stone in order to do something with it. And that would be, in my, I would say that that diminishes the the omnipotent power of the thing if it's only confined to a certain space. Okay. And so, I will. So I will God agree with is, that. I will agree with that. But I will say that the prophets did not need the orbs. The people needed the orbs. The prophets can do whatever they want. They just use the orbs as a way to impart certain knowledge to the Bajoran people. That's why they gave them to them, and they and they also sprinkled okay. them out over over a, a course of whatever. I'll just say yeah. that so far the show has not yet made that made that case, as far as I'm aware. Okay, if that's what the show is going to make the case for later. Fine. Okay, fine. My my point though is is that the in the last episode, the, the the guy who came and said, "Hey, the prophecy says the emissary is going to do this," and he said, "You know, devote yourself to the will of the prophets." So it's like that's a very common thing for the Bajorans to say. Yes. But whenever we've met the, the prophets, you know, from Cisco or Cork's angle, they seem passive. Like in this episode, they like their privacy, okay. is what we hear. Okay. So uh, the will of the prophets is either a kind of passive; they don't seem to directly necessarily. It, the, the prophets don't seem to be reaching out to the Bajorans to say, we have goodwill intention toward you, and here's how we can help. Okay. They are either passive or actually not interested in being contacted. They want their privacy. Um, and therefore, that is – the Christian perspective is that God is love. He wants to know people. He wants people to know him, and that's why he came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ so that he could be a person that is known and be communicated with, um, and that he sent his spirit to us, blah, blah, blah. So he's not confined to physical items. Okay. Like I said, there are examples of that in Christian history mm -hmm. where that has been debated at the very least. Um, but so anyway, again, this show is seeming to, is seems to be more in the pantheon of God's aspect of things, which is a choice. Mm -hmm. And like I said, 
making right. a choice means that you could you're making creative decisions. Go for it. Yeah. Um, but that does give me as someone who, you know, I like I said, I I studied the Bible in college, for example. So that is not how the Christian belief system works, and so that is right. where I critique it in comparison. So and I would say, I say and I would okay, and I I will agree. I uh, up to a point, I will say that I feel like it. We see a loose parallel here because you could argue that the prophets, excuse me, do want to um, know the Bajorans and it, their way of of getting to know them and having interaction. While overall, it seems like they do everything from afar and for the most part want to be left alone. The person that they have chosen to kind of be their voice, their conduit is Cisco. Cisco is their emissary. And, um, so, you know, that, that kind of, that's, yeah, that's their, that's their way of, for letting people get to know them is through him. And then we have people who stand in direct opposition of that because they feel like he is not of them. He's not of Bajor. You know, Kai Wynn would be our perfect example of that. She feels that as the leader of the religion, that it should be her who is the voice of the prophets. And you're right. That's what they say all the time. You know, walk with the prophets, be one with the prophets and so forth. But a lot of what they do is left up to interpretation of everything from what they see in the orbs and various prophecies and so forth. It's only really through Cisco that we see a direct, um, well, to use the term, voice of God here. Cisco is that for them. He just does it in a different way than I guess what they would expect. Because as I said earlier, culturally, he was not, he he would not be one to view the prophets the way that the Bajorans do. So now you're right though. We, there is a lot that we don't um, know yet about the prophets and a lot of what they do could be seen as passive. Um, We have, you know, the rest of this season and four more to go as to see whether or not they, you know, have an uptick, in um, that going from passive to active or not, or maybe they just disappear entirely, you know? Um, I'm not going to let you know either way, which way this goes. I'm just saying (laughs) we've got a lot to cover here on the show, and I'm sure that as as much as the Bajoran religion is one of the focal points of this show, it will be one for us as well. So we will be revisiting this um, many times, many times. Yeah, gotcha. All right, sounds fun. (laughs) Well... Anything else you want to say as we wrap it up? That's that's it. All right. Well, right before we close it out, do want to give a quick update. Um, Star Trek uh, season three of Picard will be um, coming out soon. They have already released some new promo pictures of the cast. And I'm telling you right now, Worf looks fantastic. I was so happy to see they released his new promo pictures on Michael Dorn's birthday. The man turned 70. (laughs) He is 70 years old and he is he he's great. He looks great. You know, um, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Um, it's awesome, and I can't oh. wait for the show to come out. I I think it's oh, going to be great. Right, now. right. Oh, he yeah. just, he's got he's got all white, and he's got the white eyebrows and the white you know beard and everything. And apparently, he looks so dignified. Yes, My goodness, yes. he looks amazing. And apparently, the the original designer of the original Batleth 
even came back and working with Michael Dorn has designed a new custom blade for Worf that we will get to see for the first time in this third and final season. So I can't wait to see it. For those of you who watched um, Discovery, you'll know they did, in my opinion, a horrible butcher job to the Batleth and Mechleth, respectively. So I'm glad that the original designer has come back and he has done something. <laughs> yes, hopefully it's, it is a redeeming um, sword here for our hero warp. So can't wait to see that. Um, other than that, guys... Uh, got nothing else for you stay tuned next week as we you know come into the next episode and, and obviously we're coming up to wrap up this year and to celebrate another anniversary for um uh deep space nine which will be on january 4th so stay tuned for that um right. other than that as we say every week take care of yourselves thanks guys